It is an honor uh, to be able to speak to you today. Um, I was really, really excited. Brother Will had asked me a, a couple months ago um, if, I could, if I would preach today, and um, I said absolutely, and I already knew what I was going to preach. Um, and uh, it was a message that I had just spoken to uh, uh, the teens up in the teen center. And it is different. So some of the teens that have heard this, it's, it's, it is altered majorly. Uh, but man, God has been really working in my life in certain ways and teaching me some really, really valuable lessons. And so to be able to, to stand up here before you today and preach and to be able to gather around this with you guys, it is an, it's an honor. But before we get into this, I have some very, 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 very important information for you guys. Yellowstone National Park has been keeping secrets from us all these years. I'm serious. I got to show you this picture. You guys don't believe me. This is Yellowstone National Park. That is the state of Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, okay? To the west of Yellowstone National Park, there's this little, that little dotted line right there. It is called the Zone of Death. I know. Sunday morning. Talking about death, all right? Crazy. I'm talking about the zone of death. This place is a place where you could commit the perfect crime if you wanted to. All right, yeah, now we're taking notes. Great. All right, I see some of you. I won't say your name, all right? But because of a loophole in our Constitution in the Sixth Amendment, which guarantees the fact that you can be tried by a jury of your peers from the jurisdiction from which you committed the crime, if you so choose... This falls under the place where you can commit the perfect crime. Why? Because no one lives there. You do not have friends that you can assemble from that spot to try you. So therefore, if you, if you are looking to commit the perfect crime, there it is. All right? It's under Wyoming's jurisdiction, but it crosses over into Idaho. And so I tell you this. Um, if you are invited to go to Yellowstone within the next couple weeks... Analyze who your friends are, okay? No one lives there, all right? I got another picture for you, another picture. That place was a little bit more doom and gloom. Let me tell anyone know what this place is? Fort Knox, Fort Knox, okay? This is home to some of our nation's gold. In fact, not just some, a lot of gold, okay? This place uh, holds 147. Three million ounces of gold. Much of this gold are in 27-pound golden bars, and it is packed tight. There are so many different pictures of of things in there, and you can see all these gold bars lined up. It's it's nuts. There's so many golden coins in there as well. Uh, During World War II, our Constitution, uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and some other really historical documents were actually put here just in case. Right, just encased, and it is a it is a bunker for gold. All right, now let me tell you a little bit about this place. All right, the construction concluded in 1936, um, and the known building materials. Because all right, let's face it, they're not going to put everything up on Google. Okay, like, you want to break into Fort Knox? Google. All right, I tried. Anyway, so it includes 16,000 cubic feet of granite. Uh, 4,200 cubic feet of concrete, 750 tons of reinforced steel, and 670 tons of structural steel. All of this for a two-story building with one basement. Isn't that nuts? That's crazy, okay? Um, In addition to all of that, it is rumored to be outfitted with laser wires uh, and seismographic sensors to ensure no one approaches undetected. And also a few landmines here and there, right? So, and also, if you do break, if you do manage, 
Let's just pretend. If you do manage to get inside this vault, all this gold, all right, you get in there, you have to get through a 21-inch sealed vault door, and there's four of them, okay? And uh, if you manage to get past that and you get locked in, at any moment's notice, someone can flood the entire chamber, and you ain't getting out. You're going to die with all the gold in the world, all right? It's crazy. So you're, you're thinking, okay, one, you're the youth pastor, and you probably just drove this sermon off the edge. Why are you talking to us about committing the perfect crime and some desolate area where you can commit the perfect crime and this high-security, uh, high-profile building with all this gold in it? Well, I'm not done. Next picture. Next picture. What is this? Anyone know? Area 51. All right. This place has recently made headlines. Anyone hear this? There are some people who were really, really sensitive that felt like the government was hiding a lot of stuff, and they deserve to know. So they made a Facebook group or wherever, and they said, let's run out there and see, see if they stop us. All right? Well, let me tell you what they would find. Aliens. UFOs. The Incredible Hulk. Secrets of the Universe, of course. The Hangout Location for the Illuminati. And so much, much more. All right? I mean... This is a government facility, okay? The things that go on here are meant to be secret. They're not meant to be known, and they're never meant to, they're never going to be known. They're, we've had a few things disclosed to us, um, like, so forth, uh, in, during World War II, as we were trying to uh, match uh, our fighter jets with the German fighter jets, we were trying to uh, build a, a jet that could out run and, and outdo the Germans at the time, okay? So this facility opened up to which we could do that. And um, one of the things that was disclosed is even the workers there themselves, when they were switching projects on the runway and so forth, certain people who were tied to certain projects could not see the other projects. So they would have to go into a building and get blindfolded in certain cases, be in window, rooms without windows. They couldn't even see what their other co-workers were even working on. That's how uh, secretive this place is, okay? Um, and and it's, it's, again, well known today. So it's a top secret location, all right? And I got one more for you, okay? One more. How many of you have ever heard of North, North Sentinel Island? Anyone? Yes, no one raises their hands. Perfect. All right, this place is off the coast of Myanmar, all right, just east of India, okay? This is a little dinky island. In fact, it's magnified for you. You probably couldn't see it until, unless if you magnified it this close, okay? On this island lives a group of people that have no idea about the outside world. If, if you are living on this island right now, you have no idea that there are people across the water from you, Okay? No, no idea. They don't even have the wheel. That's how old this group is. Yeah, someone, someone invented the, the wheel a long time ago. Yeah, they still don't got that technology, okay? Let alone your iPhone, McDonald's, Walmart, or anything like that, massage chairs. They don't know anything about that, okay? They know fire, okay? And we know because of some drone stuff or whatever, but the government of that country said, you know what, we're just going to leave it. They're at peace. Um, in fact, I, will, I do know this, that in one testimony that there was a boat that was able to pull up onto the, close to the island, and they were greeted with bow and arrows and spears being chucked at their boats. Serious. Absolutely insane. Imagine that, all right? Not knowing anything, all right? 
For some of us, it might do us some good, <laughs> right? But I, I give you these four places because one is a uh, desolate, dark wilderness place. One is a high security you know, building. One is a desolate island that no one knows what's going on there uh, with the exception of a few things and, and a government facility. You know, I, I took some characteristics of all of these places and I, and I instantly thought of, of, a, of another place in this planet, on this planet, that only you actually know about. I, I would call it a zone a place in our lives, and no one lives there but you and me, okay? Only, only us. We're the only ones that knows what's in there. You're the only one that knows what kind of information is contained in this area, and you have this place under lock and key. Inside this place lives thoughts about ourselves, good and bad, thoughts about what other feel, others feel about us, doubts, and insecurities. Inside this place lingers a past, possibly, full of regrets, mistakes, and problems that you haven't even dealt with yet. But you've done a really, really good job of sweeping it under the rug. You've done a really, really good job of keeping it hidden from everything and everyone. We've been and stored up all of our failures there. Uh, and we have warehouses full of uh, of of reasons of why we don't trust people, and we have storage units full of indecisions that we never made. So many things are kept here, and we do our very, 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 very best to make sure that it is a high-security unit. If anyone even gets, bothers to get close to this, you, we are quick to shoot them down because it's none of their business. All right? We do a really, really good job. In fact, we do such a really good job that even God and the life of joy that he promises us in scriptures that we see that's wanting to be given to us in scripture absolutely has no jurisdiction there. Because why? You don't want to face it again. You don't want to face it again. Right? So why go here, Nathan? Why, why even bring this place up? Why do you instantly have to be like Brother Will and make this a sob sermon? All right, you, you know when Brother Will gets up here and he says, all right, you know, I, you could come here today and have a, a happy, uh, feel-good message, and you know where he's going to go, right? Why do you have to make a, a message like that? Why do you have to even bring up this place? Because I've worked so, so long of trying to not think about the things that are happening or is stored there. Why would you even want to bring it up? Well, this is why I want to bring it up. Because God calls us to a life of joy. Life, God calls us to a life of abundance of joy, and I see so many people shoot that down because of their past. I see so many people feel so insecure about themselves that they cannot be secured in the message of the gospel, and I hate that personally as a minister. So many people presented with the gospel, so many presented, people presented with this life of joy and love and peace, yet they tend to let it be blocked and prevented become completely in and clogs the flow of joy that God wants them to have in their entire life. Some of us are really good at blocking all of it. Some of us are really good at just about certain parts that we keep God away from and not really letting him saturate our entire life. And I don't want to see that. God meant means 
for all, for all of us to be consumed by him. And it's okay to allow him to do that. I see so many people, and when I say people, don't just think I'm the youth pastor and I'm talking about teenagers. Because I'm talking about teenagers, and I'm talking about college students, and I'm talking about adults and their parents. I've seen all sorts of people, little kids to adults, be called by God to live out the greater purpose of their life, but yet they choose not to take a step of faith towards it because they have no faith in themselves. They've lost all sorts of trust, and they don't feel like they could ever do anything right because of everything that is consumed in their life. And this very place that we have locked in is about right here on all of us. It's in our hearts. It's in our lives. It's deep down in your, your soul and in mine, and we all have it. Some of, the, some of the, these locations might be bigger than others. Some of them have different situations and problems and circumstances that we've all faced, but let's just face it. Who likes to talk about it? And, and especially unresolved things. It's just best sometimes we feel that if we can sweep it under the rug or we don't have to deal with it and just put it off under the shelf. You think you have it under lock and key, but actually I'm here to tell you today that it actually has you in balls and chains. And I don't want to any, ever see anyone go through life being drugged down by horrible thoughts about themselves. I see so many people trying to pursue so many different things in this world, but yet when it comes to the things of God, their minds are elsewhere. And I see so many people too overwhelmed with everything on their plate and all the stresses in their life that they can't even rejoice in the message of the gospel because they're so busy. They can't even experience the, the presence of the Lord. And I don't want to see that. So today, I bring it up because I think I was called to bring it up today. And I think we are all also called to experience joy. It's what God intended. So let's start moving some blockades out of our lives a little bit. What is joy? What is joy? You know, there's so many different definitions for it, and I looked up a few. Joy, Webster, as it defines, is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. It's an emotion. Cool. I think that's part of the definition, okay? I don't think that one definition brings it in full view, because I believe joy is a Christian word with Christian origins. That's what the joy I'm talking about today, is. Theopedia describes it more convincingly as a state of mind and an orientation of the heart. It is a settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope. And might I add on the tail end of that, in Jesus Christ. A settled state of contentment, confidence, and hope in the person of Jesus Christ. John Piper writes, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see his beauty in Christ, in his word, and in the world. And Rick Warren uh, adds his own definition and probably one of my more favorite ones and easier to really wrap my head around is joy is the, is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be okay, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I love that. 
Bill High says joy is more like a deep abiding. A deep abiding. What, Nathan, what's abiding? I, I want you to quickly think of that story that Jesus was talking about. Um, I am the vine and you are the branches. And how the branches are obtaining the nutrients from the Lord and from the, from the Father. And they're able to be nourished by that. That deep abiding. And I also think it's a place. It's the presence of the Lord. How, how, how much I want you to experience and know the presence of the Lord in your life. All right. Now, Nathan, I got it all together. It's okay. I'm fine. And you might just be. You may have this area tamed and in control. And you've used it and turned it in the way that God wants you to use it. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But you may be, need to be a light to someone else who is definitely struggling in their life. Who doesn't know this joy. I mean, I know people who don't know Jesus. And it hurts me because some of them are my own family. Some of them are my teenagers. Some of them are former teenagers of mine. And I've been on the receiving end of a drunk phone conversation because they're parting somewhere and they'd rather fill their life with something else. I've gone and I've stayed the night in jail with a couple teenagers because they chose to do horrible things. I see it all the time. You see it all the time. It's in your family. It's in your friends. And you want the joy of the Lord to fill those people's lives too. This message is just as much as for you as it is for those who are struggling with some of the things that are holding us captive in our life. So now I want to turn our thoughts and our focus to some scripture to really kind of draw out some of this message because it's super important that we get it and that we surround this message with God's word, okay? So it's found there in Philippians 1, chapter 12, uh, or chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 21. I've never preached out of this passage before except first service, and I hope I'm able to make sense of it to you today. The Bible says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Jesus Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But... It doesn't matter. I love Paul. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expectate and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have significant courage now and always that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is the Apostle Paul, one of, probably the greatest missionary in our Christian faith. He was the one in the New Testament that was talked about going through all of the Mediterranean area throughout the Roman Empire and preaching the gospel. He is the one who is responsible for writing over half the books in the New Testament and giving us some amazing, amazing stories 
of the, his missionary journeys along the way. He's given us full of, books full of encouragement that intended for those churches, but that we have now today so we can learn and we can grow in the faith together. And when if there's someone who's an expert on joy, I believe that it is Paul. Why do I believe it is, that it is Paul? Well, let me just give you the context of Paul's life as he's writing this passage of Scripture. He's imprisoned, all right? Whether it's a house prison or whether it's in the, the palace prison, we don't actually know maybe where he's specifically at. I believe it's AD 62 and that he's in Rome at this moment and he is about to die, okay? But he's imprisoned, all right? Living conditions are not pristine, okay? Um, the bed that he's laying on is probably the floor or maybe a, a bundle of blankets. I don't know. He's a missionary, all right? He's a missionary. That means he has a lot of people that he cares about, and he, he's been to a lot of places and churches, okay, that he started. He has unfinished work to do because it's the Apostle Paul, and he wants to keep doing more, all right? He has a lot of people that he loves, and he still wants to reach, places that he probably wants to go. He also has people, as described in this passage of scripture, that are trying to jump up and to steal the ministry right out from underneath his feet and say bad things about him. All right, He's got that going on. He, it is described in the re, in somewhere else in this book that he has a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Some believe it's a, a physical ailment. Some people believe it might be uh, an emotional or a, a death that he is still mourning uh, prior in his life, maybe as a Pharisee. I don't know. But he has a thorn in the flesh that is constantly bothering him that he cannot get rid of, that he even has asked God for, but God has allowed him to have that to keep him motivated, strengthened, and and, and dependent on him. And it's really, really cool, but that's a different passage for a different time. But he has this, sitting alone in a prison cell, maybe. Or maybe he's got someone that smells really, really bad next to him. All right? Think about that. Bathroom conditions aren't the best. His eyesight is failing. He is going blind. And eventually he's going to be asking Timothy, the person who's sitting here writing this gospel or this, this book with him, for a coat because winter is coming. And he's about to freeze to death. All right? So it's not the best setting for him. It's not the best setting for him. At least maybe he probably would have uh, rather been shipwrecked because at least he wasn't, wouldn't have been confined to one spot. And may I remind you that this is one of two prison sentences, both accounts which are going to mount and put him on death row, and he will very, very soon beheaded. Be beheaded. You know what? You know what his entire answer to all of that is? It's right here in this passage of Scripture. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So Nathan, the Fort Knox uh, junk that you just said at the beginning of the sermon, what does that have to do with anything about this? Let me tell you. Maybe we've restricted joy. Maybe we've let our circumstances dictate our joy. Maybe we've let our circumstances uh, warp God and really how big he really is in comparison. Maybe we've restricted God. Maybe we've made a restricted no man's land area 51 Fort Knox security enabled zone of death area of our lives that needs to have the barricades and the walls removed quickly. Maybe we have that. 
So I just want to give a couple pointers, a couple thoughts about how we can begin to let Jesus come in and change some things. I'm not talking necessarily about saving grace. Maybe that is. Maybe you don't have Jesus in your life at all today, and you don't know what this joy feels like. Let me go ahead and just tell you, you ain't going to find it anywhere else on this planet. There isn't one material thing. There isn't one job. There wasn't, isn't one person on this planet that's going to promise the, con- the contentment, the, the peace, and the love, and the hope that Jesus is going to have in your life. He's, it, you're just not going to find it. I promise. I absolutely promise. Maybe you're that person today and you needed to hear a little bit about this Jesus. And I just simply invite you to investigate him, to open up a scripture and to learn about him and make the choice and make the decision. But investigate, hear him out, look at the stories, look at the scriptures. But maybe you're also here today that have that area that's loaded down with a bunch of junk from your past and you're holding back from actually serving the Lord the way you need to serve because you have all this stuff that's holding you down. You're not letting God's joy in his life of abundance joy to come in and fill in all the gaps of your life. And that is something I don't want to see happen in yours. So if I could just give a few pointers, and again, there's so many more than these, but I just want to simply share these couple of thoughts before we leave today. Don't wait till everything is perfect to be happy. I know some of you do it. You want that particular type of paycheck to happen. You want six figures, all right? Be blessed with the, be blessed with the five, but you want six, right? You want the best paycheck. You want the right paycheck. You want the right amount of fame and friends, You want the right kind of job. You want the right kind of family. You want the right kind of spouse. You want the right kind of everything. And you won't be happy and content until everything is perfect and aligned in your way. Well, let me just go ahead and give you a spoiler warning. That's never going to happen. Okay? I got the perfect spouse, but sometimes everything else. It took a little while to get there, right? On everything else, right? All right. There's some things in life that are just never going to work out the way that you want it to work out. And if you wait for the, those things to work out the way that you want them to work out, you're never going to be happy. Never going to be happy. James 1 uh, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let per- perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Not lacking in anything, okay? You're not, look at what that verse is saying. You're going to face an imperfect life. You're going to face trials. You're going to face circumstances that you're going to hate. But if you wait for everything to be perfect, for you to want to finally knuckle down and experience the joy of the Lord, it's never going to happen, all right? Now, I don't want you to leave here frustrated and upset at me because about what I'm about to say about all your circumstances in your life, okay? So I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way. I know what some of you may think when I say this. Brother Nathan thinks that I, all my problems are petty and I'm a big, stinking baby. I'm not, I'm not going to think that, okay? I promise, okay? Because um, I'm a baby sometimes, right? Um, I think our circumstances are a big deal, all right? I think life 
uh, can really uh, throw us some curveballs sometimes, okay? That, that, that imperfect life and those unfortunate circumstances and all the things that you're going to be having to face, life is just not going to give you a bunch of perfect. And there are going to be uh, times in life where pain is really real. And we as humans are going to face and experience things that none of us will, should ever deserve to face. Ladies, you are going to face things that you should never, ever have to face in your life. Men, you're going to be, have pressure on you that is dumb and completely stupid that you should ever have to face that kind of pressure and being the, what a real man really is. I, you're gonna fa- all of us are going to face circumstances and trials that are going to be very hurtful. I believe that we do all have a sensitive side, and I do believe that our feelings can be hurt. I believe in broken hearts because that's the, those are the exact things that Jesus came to redeem and heal. All right? I know people hurt us. I know people can treat us like dirt sometimes. I know that maybe you feel this small in your workplace or in your family, but guess what? I just simply want you to ask yourself a bigger question. Do I believe that God is much bigger and better than all of that? How do you look at your circumstances? How do you look at your life? Do you look at your circumstances through the lenses of your joy that you have in Jesus Or do you look at your joy through the lenses of your circumstances and let them dictate every stinking thing in your life? Which one are you? Are life's storms distorting your view so bad for what God wants for you? You know, rain and hail all flying at you horizontal, all sorts of weather hitting you right in the face and blighting you? Or is the joy and strength that God gives the lens in which you see your storm? Is he the beacon of hope in the midst of it all? What is your perspective about all of your life situations and problems? What is your position? And I would wager that we would need to probably, or a lot of us, including myself, probably need to reposition ourselves and reposition our viewpoint, all right? Paul did. Again, I described you a man that was imprisoned and persecuted and had some really bad things happen in, even in his ministry after he got saved. But you know what he says? He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of the, my imprisonment for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what he responds? Basically, he's saying, hey, Paul, how are you? Someone's asking him, hey, Paul, how are you doing? And his response is, the gospel is doing great. He doesn't focus on on everything that's bad that's happening to him. He's saying, dudes, my bros, the guards are annoyed by me because they hear the gospel all day long, all right? This happiness that I have in my heart the dude that I'm sharing a cell with gets to see that every single day, all right? The gospel is doing great. Jesus is doing awesome. People are being reached, and my life is being a beacon. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, it's not comfortable, but the gospel is doing awesome. What if you were to ask yourself that question of you? How is the gospel doing in my life? 
because I tend to have to go back there when people come to me and say, my life is in shambles. It's reality. It's a fact. I go right back to that basic question. Okay, before we get into all the billions of details, how's your relationship with Jesus? How's the gospel doing in your life? What's being shown? What's being lived? And what's the, cha- what's the change that's been taking place? What if we ask that question? But Nathan, what, uh, what about all my horrible life experiences? What about all, the, all that past? What about all that pain? What, if, what about all the stuff that I've ever been through? Surely you have an answer for it. And I do. You lived it. And, and we're not God. We're not God. You know, what's really cool about our Savior is that when we repent of our sins and, and our problems and so forth, we give it to Him, He forgets about it. It's, it's been wiped clean. But yet, when some people come to ask repentance from us, we're going to still have memories. And we're still going to experience pain. And we're still going to remember our past. All right? God does a really good job a lot of the times of softening those, those memories and, and from the pain when it does reoccur, but you're still going to remember. So I encourage you, don't try forgetting. Instead, look at the lessons that you got from that. Look at the redemptive act and grace that you saw, that you see in all those moments. Look at where you're standing now and say, God brought me through all of this, and I see so much more junk lining up to take a swing at me. I'm ready because I have the joy of the Lord moving me forward. I'm not going to let these things bear me down. I'm not going to let these things take over. I'm not going to let all of my past and my life define who I am. I'm going to look towards the cross. I'm going to look at what, the, what was accomplished there and what was accomplished in the grave. And I'm going to see a Savior risen to carry me through and to give me a life of joy and not have anything get in the way of that. So my suggestion is don't forget it. Show out your testimony and, and remember that your past is your past and you get to share the gospel because of it. How is the gospel doing in your life? Second thing that you can do to begin to allow Jesus to come in and change and those walls to come down and maybe take down a few security cameras around the, that, that dark, deep, hidden secret that you don't want no one to never know about is don't start comparing yourself to other people. I hate this. I mean, if there's one thing that drives me up the wall is when somebody, an adult or teenager, comes to me and says, but so-and-so's got their life so perfect. You know what happens because you hear that too, all right? 2 Timothy 2, 15 says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and correctly handles the word of truth. You know what this passage does not say? Do not present yourself a, an attempt failed version of someone who you think has it all together to the Lord. God does not want you to be someone else. He wants you to be you. So don't try being someone else because that isn't going to work. All right? You can try to copy someone else's life. You can try to copy all the Instagram filters they use. You can copy their kids and their education. You can try to get the same amount of paychecks or jobs or whatever. You can try to have all the same materials and cards, blah, blah, blah. It will never be good enough. God wants you 
for you. And at the end of, at the end of days, when Jesus comes and returns, there's going to be two, th- two people standing there. That's going to be you and the Lord. Nothing that you, not, none, none of your possessions, none of your kids, none of all that, not all the life that you tempted to be a poser on, which that's a new series I'm starting up this Wednesday up in the youth group. You guys want to ch- come check it out. None of that is going to be there in that moment. It's going to be you and your heart with the Lord. And the Lord's going to want to know, what, how are you presenting yourself today with me? One who wasn't ashamed of the gospel in their life. One who was cor- correctly handled the word of truth in their life. That's what God wants you to do. And when we start comparing ourselves to other people, joy decreases in our hearts. Joy decreases in our lives, and you will see your wheels spinning in mud and not going anywhere, and your life empty and super sad and bummed out all the time because you, didn't, you weren't as successful as the next person. So, don't compare yourself to other people. You know how I can tell if people do? I just ask them. I've done this. This is absolutely hilarious. Not for you guys, but for me. I'm the minister. He said, I'd simply just go, I'll be like, hey, brother, do you get mad at other people's successes? I use that as a gauge. Generally, they'll get really mad. Or I'll say, do other people's failures make you happy? That's a good one. Counseling. Anyways, number three. Another thing that we can start uh, doing to make sure that the, the blockades are out of the way and God's joy can come in to our life is to make sure that we don't go through life alone. I get it. You're the only person that you like to roll with. I get it. You don't need nobody. I know all you single ladies in the room don't need no man. All right? I know all you men don't want no woman's opinion. All right? I know you, you don't feel like you need friends. I know you're too good for everyone else at times. You don't need anyone else's way. How you do life is good enough for you and how that someone else does their life is good enough for them. I get it. I get it. The idea that we are going to pretend to have an attitude that we don't need anybody, but ultimately God designed us for relationships. Come on. We all have a desire to have attention and to have relationships. But I also know what you're thinking, because you're the one person in this room, or one of the one people in this room that, you know, the biggest part of the reason why I don't have friends is because in that, that area in my life that I don't trust people is because they've let me down, they failed me. Why would I want to even attempt to do what you're even saying right now? I get it. I get it. But I have another spoiler warning for you. Not everyone's a scumbag. Not everyone's a jerk. Not everyone's mean. It's, going, it's out to hurt your feelings. All right? They're not. Not everyone is, go, is out to hurt you. You need to have uh, people in your life that you can connect with and that you can g- grow with. Romans 5, 1 through 5. I got this. Therefore, since we, all caps, thank you, Devin, have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Next slide. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Recurring words, we, us, and ours. You're not meant to do life by your own. Yes, you make that personal choice to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior on your own. Yes, that is a personal choice that you have to make. But upon making that choice of yes, and I pray that you do, you enter into the family of God. And you are not meant to do life alone. All right? You are not meant to do life alone. So I have a question for you. Who helps you hope and rejoice in the bad times? Who helps you during the tough, stinky times? Someone has to help you. Someone needs to help you. You need help from somebody. And guess what? I can't think of a better place to find someone than this church. Brothers and sisters in the faith that love that, what that passage of Scripture just said, we have a hope. We have a purpose. We have a, a plan for our lives. God wants us to embrace it and learn and grow and embrace it together. But not only should you have someone helping you, but you should be helping someone. And I know what some of you are thinking, but that one person that God keeps putting on my heart just loves to like, completely air out all their dirty laundry every single time we talk. I get it. I have people that want to tell me everything in their life, and I could care less about half of it because it's not meant for me to hear. All right? It's meant for them to give to the Lord. All right, And you and I are confronted with people like that all the time, but we are meant to help people. We cannot shut people out. We are meant to help people. So who will become more confident in your faith because they see how you handle hardships and bad times? Who will become more confident in your faith because they see how you handle hardship in bad times? We're meant to not be alone in life. God designed the family of God to be there with one another. Oh, and I got another person that you shouldn't go in li through life without, and that's God himself, all right? In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis writes this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure to of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Anyone know anyone who just loves animals like, like madness? Okay, crazy. Not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with little hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable. It will become irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven, and I repeat, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. You know what that big paragraph said? God wants to love you, and you are meant to be loved. You are designed to be loved by him. Why do you lock him away? Why do you let prevent him from coming in? I mean, is that area in your life so bad? Is your past so awful? Do you think that you are out of reach? Well, let me just go ahead and tell you this. Jesus has absolutely zero problem and will take him zero effort to go into the deepest, darkest places of your heart and in your life and build a throne room out of it. Zero problem. 
He will take a sledgehammer of righteousness, and it's in gold, and it sparkles, and he'll walk right in there, and he will start to become the best interior designer of your heart that you'll ever know. All you have to do is let him. I did that. I, I can think back several times where I, I had made commitments to the Lord. And I remember really when, I, when push comes to shove, it was my, my, my sophomore year of high school, and I remember looking back at some of the, my insecurities and my failures and, and some of the expectations that I completely blew, okay? And I remember having all this walled up, built up inside, and saying, I'm not good enough. But then it was presented to me that Jesus could do a pretty cool, awesome thing in my life. And all I simply had to do was hand him a key to the security, high, high secured area in my heart that I didn't want anyone else to see. And he walked right on in, and I shut the door behind him, and I locked him in there. And since he stayed, because I, I want him to do the work. I want him to clear out the blockades. When my past comes creeping up on me, trying to remind me about how much of a failure that I am, I don't want that to happen. I want Jesus there to, to prevent that and from, getting, from it getting out of control. Jesus wants all of you, including that dark, deep area in your life, and he wants you to experience and know all of him. Jesus wants all of you, and he wants you to have all of him. Let his joy fill your life and don't let a life of mistakes and heartaches and pains and suffering and disappointments and failures and mistrust dictate that. Amen. Don't. Lastly, I just simply want to say rejoice always. Rejoice always. First uh, Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. All right? As though some strange thing were to happen to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And what he's basically saying is, like, don't be surprised when things get really bad in life. Don't be surprised because Jesus talked to you about them. I'm writing to you, to you now. Things are going to get out of hand. But you can look at the, cir the circumstances and the craziness through the lens of joy. And hold on to a Savior's hand that loves you and cares for you every single step of the way. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to say thank you so much.